Now it's time for the Disney View podcast. Please move across your car to make room for everyone. Our podcast will begin momentarily. Join Dave as he makes his grand circle tour around the Walt Disney World Resort. Dave is a dreamer and an engineer who enjoys the magic and wonder of it all, but understands Disney's place in history and respects the legacy that's been left. Come along and hear Dave's thoughts about Walt Disney World and see it through Dave's eyes. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, manténganse alejado del David. And now, here's your host. Hey everyone, it's Dave. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View Podcast. On today's podcast, I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the things that are going around on around the Walt Disney World Resort in particular, but I'll talk a little bit about Disneyland and the Disney Company in general because there's a couple of things happening that are kind of interesting. Now, the thing is, there's some goods and bads happening, and I'm not trying to make this podcast be negative in a way. Uh, this is really just about kind of understanding the underlying principles here. You know, when I look at the, the big picture, and I realize that Disney laid off 28,000 people, that's a huge number. And um, I think yesterday or this morning, they announced some number of the people that were going to be in Disneyland. And then over the last couple of weeks, they announced that there were 11,350 people that were laid off in Florida at the uh, Walt Disney World Resort. And I look at that number and I go, at its peak, the Disney company hires about 100, employs about 100,000 people um, and, uh, in the Central Florida area. So laying off 11,000 people, you know, roughly 10% or so, maybe 11% of the staff is basically being cut. So it's a really big number. It's significant. It's meaty. And as a former cast member, I'm one of their brethren. I believe very strongly in the people that work there because they are the magic. And so it's hard to hard to look at that number and just go, you know, just not think twice about it because it, it's it's really difficult. Now, Disney is evolving its thinking in some of the things that they're doing, certainly. Um, you know, you don't need as many reservation hosts. You don't need as many people taking orders for food. You don't need as many other things because you're automating some of that stuff. And that's fine. But with park hours being such as they are and the fact that there's still a raging pandemic and you have to kind of uh, make adjustments accordingly, I get it. I understand it. I'm not saying Disney is right. In fact, I think that maybe they should do some things differently, but that's all my perspective. I don't look at their bottom line. I'm not sitting in the corporate boardroom. I don't know the things that they know and see the things that they see. I can just assess it from my perspective here on the ground as a fan of Disney. That's all I can do. So I have to look at it and say, I I think they're doing the right things because they're trading on their brand to a large degree. But I admit it's complicated to look at because when I see it, it's hard to know what's right and what's wrong. I assume that they're doing generally good, but I don't know that they're doing the right thing necessarily. I think they're trying to do the right thing, but I'm not sure. Now, I did see that Senator Elizabeth Warren from Massachusetts sent a letter to the Bobs, uh, Iger and Chapek, saying, in effect, I don't understand why you restored your uh, corporate pay and are laying off this many people. Could you please explain it? And she's there to protect the, uh, the rank-and-file employees, essentially. She's a, she's a consumer advocate is essentially what she amounts to. And her principle is... Back in March, uh, the senior executives said they were going to um, re- uh, n- not be paid for a period of time um, because they wanted to take no money while the uh, cast members were furloughed. And that made a lot of sense. Then in August, they voted to restore their own pay. So, you know, it's it was nice that they did that, but it only lasted so long. Their goodwill only lasted so long, and then they turned around and they re- uh, started paying themselves again. But yet they're laying off people. And so her perspective was, why are you doing that? Now, of course... 
Iger and Chapek responded essentially saying, look, you don't understand our corporate um, structure, you don't understand our balance sheets and whatever. And they're right, and I don't either. But in principle, it does seem hard to swallow that they're restoring their own pay while they're laying off 28,000 people. And again, I'm not saying they're wrong, I'm just saying that I don't quite understand it. It doesn't make sense to me, it just doesn't, the math doesn't add up for me. Now, it's a complicated business. They have to figure out how many people they have, what their park attendance looks like, what their net income is, uh, you know, how many, uh, how many hotel rooms they can sell and so forth. They have to do all of those things to figure out what their bottom line looks like and how much money they can make and then they can do their payroll and all these things. They trade on their brand for a lot, to a large degree, but it doesn't mean that they get everything that way. It's not always that simple. So they have to figure out where the balance is. And I assume that they're doing the right things. I look at it a little skeptically. I try to be honest. I love Disney, but I try to be a realist about this. There's still a company that's in it to make money. And so I have to be careful when I, when I think about them, you know, to just not be blinded by the pure enthusiasm for Disney. It's still a business. And it's kind of complicated the way the business runs. Now, on the other side, um, there was a, ESPN has had some issues. Now, ESPN is the sports arm of Disney. Now, ESPN, when it first came out before it was a Disney product, used to um, align themselves with all these cable companies, getting in the different cable platforms for a fee every month for the cable company to carry the network. Now, as people cord cod and things move on, this isn't quite as promising a deal. So, and so there's always the challenge within the uh, ESPN world about how the sports programming works. You know, there, you can't just say we're going to make money on these different things doing it that way or we're going to make money on this one thing by putting in a cable provider. With more people cord cutting, it just doesn't work like that. The math doesn't work out. So they have to kind of reinvent themselves to figure out how they make, how they stay profitable and uh, remain uh, the way they are. So they've got all these different ideas and things they're trying to do. They're trying to move more to streaming, more to packaging, more to selling their products in a different way. They have to try to figure out how to move their product in a different way and sell it and package it differently. But there's no right answers here and there's no easy answers as they try to figure it out. And right now, in today's environment, with limited number of sports going on, right now football is the only thing that's happening. So you have college football on Saturdays and then one pro football game on Sunday that they show. And otherwise, their network doesn't have a lot to show. So it's a really difficult thing because they don't have a lot of content today. So, you know, the revenue stream just isn't the same as you might expect. So Bob Lee kind of had a similar perspective to me, I think, when I read it. It was sort of a, you're laying off 300 people at ESPN, good luck, right? It's sort of that same sort of nuanced thing. He used to be a sportscaster on uh, ESPN for a long time, and he retired at some point last year, I think. And so he has this perspective because he was on the inside, and he just kind of sees it that way. ESPN announced they were going to lay off a number of people, and most of them are like producers, directors, you know, editors, things like that. And most of them are not on-air talent, though a few of them were. But essentially, you know, they realize that they're not making as much money as they could. And with this reinvention of what they're going to be as a sports empire, it's, they have to think about what they're going to do and how they're going to manage it. So it kind of goes along with the big picture of what's happening at Disney. More layoffs because another business unit is struggling, right? It's another part of it that they can't quite figure out how to put together yet. They'll figure it out eventually, but for now, it's kind of complicated. Now, as far as the Disney parks go, Disneyland and the state of California still haven't agreed to formally reopen the park, parks out there, but they have agreed to go ahead and open, asterisk, uh, the Disney California Adventure. And what they're going to do with DCA is they're going to open part of the uh, street for uh, shopping and dining and maybe a little bit of entertainment, but none of the attractions will be open at this point. So they're planning on doing that in the next couple of weeks. 
So they're planning on doing that in the next couple of weeks, and they'll get that uh, worked out. Now, I understand that Disneyland is also in discussions to do the same thing in the main Disneyland parks. They would open like Main Street and a few of the restaurants and so forth. But again, they're not talking about having any uh, of the attractions being open until they work out whatever they're going to do with the, the state of California. Now, on the other hand, Disney World in Florida continues to work out what they need to do to stay open. They're, they continue to keep their uh, capacity at about 25%, and that seems to be the magic number for them. With, with all of the things that are happening uh, as far as what they've put in place, having uh, mask wearing be mandatory, uh, keeping the park capacity low, making sure that people uh, only have uh, zones where they can eat, uh, outdoors and um, that's the only place they can take the masks off and then keeping indoor entertainment to a minimum and making sure that queuing doesn't happen with large numbers of people in one place for the most part seems to be effective. Disney World has not had a confirmed outbreak with either the cast members or the guests at this point given that they've been open for this long because they've been open for what about two months now and they've done really well for themselves and that's a very positive thing and I'm glad to see it and it's a good social experiment to see how we can do things right but they need to keep it up for the period of time that, uh, that continues. Now, on the horizon are at least is at least one possible vaccine that may be useful uh, in the treatment or prevention of the spread of this, of this virus, but that's still a ways off. And hopefully that will come along and make it easier to start traveling and easing restrictions and getting people out there. And hopefully you're being smart and safe in your own community. Look, I know it's been a long time and we're asking you to wear a mask and whatever, but that's all we're asking for. Just wear a mask and just be smart in public, right? Don't go out and you know, expose yourself or expose others to, to the potential that you might be a carrier. So that's, that's it. And Disney is doing those things and it seems to be working for them. So we could all take a lesson from that in a way. That's all I'm saying. So that's interesting that they haven't had any outbreaks or any cases uh, linked to them in that sense. Now, will that change anything for them? No, I don't think it will. I think they're going to continue to evolve their thinking until they get to a point where they're comfortable and they can start bringing on more people and you know, reopening the parks to a higher capacity. But for now, that's where it is. So you may be asking yourself, hey, have you made any updates to your thoughts about going back to the parks? And the short answer is, you know, I, I waffle a little bit now and again, but the, the answer is no, I'm not going to change my stance on it. I'm not going back to the parks yet. And I waffle because I hear about friends that are going and they have a good time and they, you know, the lines are low and you can get onto a lot of attractions and you do a lot of things. And they have a great time while they're there and I'm very happy for them and I'm glad to see people want to go, but I'm still not ready. Between the pandemic are still our social issues and other things that are going on in this country and bigger and broader than just theme parks. Uh, I'm still not ready to go back. You know, for me, it's been almost a year now since the last time I went. It was early December last year when I was last there. So, you know, for me, it's a year and it's, you know, kind of like you're, um, you're a recovering addict or a recovering alcoholic. And it's like, you know, you, you have to go through the 12-step program to detoxify yourself from Disney. And I guess I'm still on step one where I talk about Disney incessantly. Um, but that's the way it is. And for now, that's going to stay that way for me personally. Doesn't mean that I don't want to go. Like I said, I've waffled a couple of times and thought about it, but still not ready. Um, hopefully in the near future, I will be. But for now, no. Um, now, I did see that uh, Disney Springs is starting to implement this new uh, no-touch security system. This is something we've talked about in the past where it's a, you pass through it and it actually does a scan of your bags and actually takes your temperature as you're going through. So it kind of checks you as you're going through without anybody coming up to you. So in effect, you need some fewer security because you don't need to check everyone manually every, every time they go through. So this is another test case where they're trying it out to see how it's working. 
Now, I was reading somebody's blog, I don't remember who it was, but they were talking about this coming up and they were saying, yeah, they put it in place and there's been no specific security issues at Disney Springs and I don't know why they're putting it there and I don't know how long it's going to last if it's just a test. And I'm going to suggest that it's a permanent thing, that this is something that Disney is doing to protect themselves in the broader sense, you know, by doing the temperature screening and doing the bag check seamlessly. So you don't even realize it's happening, sort of. You just kind of walk through. It makes life um, easier for you. You don't feel like you're, you know, somebody's being obtrusive and pawing through your things. But yet, they're still doing security on you. There's always unseen security at Disney. That's the way Disney works. But this is a way to kind of protect themselves in the broader sense. And I don't think it's going to go anywhere. I think this is going to be expanded, in fact. From every entry point, you'll have to pass through something where they'll be checking you out just to make sure that, you know, they're providing some measure of safety for the cast members, for the guests, for everything else. And it has to do with the virus and it has to do with um, people trying to um, bring in weapons and whatever the things they might try to bring in. But it's a way for Disney to protect themselves to a large degree. And I think it's, a, I think it's something, it's a sign of the times. And I think there's, you're going to see more of this pop up, not just at Disney, but other places too. I think you're going to see more you know, touchless uh, sensing where they, they just, they're just checking to see what you have if you're on private property like that. Yeah, you could get into some thorny legal issues in some places, but Disney, you know, you're consenting because it's totally private to whatever they want, you know, whatever searches that they think are reasonable. So, um, you know, that's that's sort of the, the fine line in there, right? There's a there's a, a spot in there, but I don't think it's going away. Um, so to answer the question that someone asked, I don't think it's going away. I think it's going to stay around indefinitely. And that brings me back to the reservation system. Disney did announce that they're going to extend the reservation system through 2022. So it'll be all of next year. And I think what they're finding is it's successful because they know how many guests are going to be in the park any given day. And uh, they leave some open for, you know, day guests that come up or people who are late arrivers who want to go. Um, you know, some number of them. Uh, but they try to make sure uh, on most days, I think some days where it's, you know, park maybe reach capacity, that doesn't work that way. But I think it's an important thing for Disney because it's a milestone for them to understand their park attendance and keep things kind of under control. So you can understand that there will be no park hopping through at least the middle of next year. You won't be able to leave one park and go to another. You have a reservation for one park for one day and that's it. Now, it's possible that sometime next year they could add a, a feature that allows you to get a park reservation for multiple parks or something that allows for some sort of park hopping, but I don't think it's going to be as easy as just, hey, I, I was over here in the Magic Kingdom and I want to go over to Epcot and I just hop on the monorail and go. I think now you're going to have to have a reservation anyway uh, to be able to go there. It just seems like that's the right mix for Disney to make sure that they have, they know what their park attendance is going to look like so they can plan for capacity, they can plan for their staffing, and they can make sure that they're giving priority to the higher paying customers, the DVC members, the people um, who bought a vacation, those kinds of things, where people are paying a lot into the system. Those are the people they want to give the biggest benefit to. So I think that's coming anyway. And I think that's going to be uh, the way things work uh, going forward. I don't think that's going to change at all. I think they're going to evolve the technology, but I don't think that's going to change particularly. So kind of interesting how that, uh, how that all comes together. Now, funny thing, I was uh, reading about um, uh, an article in Motley Fool. It's a financial advice sort of column where they talk about different financial things. And they, were, they posed a question, which is going to happen first? Disneyland is going to reopen fully or Disney World is going to close? And it's, a, it's kind of a quirky question, but it, it struck me. I started thinking about it, and I went, well, that's a, that's a, a bit of a thorny question, because as we know, Disney World doesn't have any outbreaks. Good. But the number of cases is going up. Bad. You know, across the country. Um, 
And Disneyland is still locked in a battle with the state of California, even though they're opening Asterisk, as I mentioned before. They still don't, haven't fully announced that they're going to open. And um, so which would happen first? And I don't know what the answer is. You know, it could, could go either way. Um, could be neither one happens in the near future, <laughs> fully. Um, but, you know, we'll just have to wait and see, I guess, and see what, uh, what happens in the state of Florida and with Disney World and what they choose to do. And, uh, you know, the fact that they haven't had any major outbreaks is very positive, and I think they're doing some good things. So maybe they won't close again. Perhaps. Um, that's, that's entirely possible. Uh, wanted to talk about, there was a rhino born at uh, Disney's Animal Kingdom, and it's a white rhino, which is a rare breed. And uh, there was a, a baby rhino born October 25th. It's, uh, at the, this time, they still haven't given it a name. Um, there was, uh, the white rhino was an endangered species, so, um, they were very happy to have it. It's the 11th white rhino born in the animal kingdom. And, uh, they said that calf and mother are doing well under the keeper's watchful eye. While rhinos are gre uh, gregarious by nature, for now, the calf is resting, nursing, and bonding with his mom. Very cool. Good story, right? And one of those cute little things that happens, and it's kind of a, kind of a cute thing. It was nice, you know, nice story once in a while to have there. Now, as far as the presidential election, I wanted to talk about two specific things here. One, I wonder what the Hall of Presidents is going to look like when, you know, they always, when there's a new president-elect, they always close uh, the Hall of Presidents. They'll leave it open until an, uh, Inauguration Day, typically, and then they'll close it and they'll redo whatever they need to and then um, come back to uh, reopening it. Now, Disney, four years ago, had said they were going to change the Hall of Presidents and not have a speaking part for whoever the president was. Um, then uh, Trump intervened. They wound up uh, creating a speaking part for him. He had the part in there. Um, I wonder if they're going to go back to their original idea and just not have a speaking part and basically effectively you know, put a, uh, a, a Biden uh, audio animatronic in there, but then just take out the, uh, the Trump speaking part and just you know, put it back to the show without that part. Because I think they just edited it in and weaved it into the show so that it kind of, um, in context, it didn't necessarily change anything. So that you could essentially take that out and just go back to a show without that part, the speaking part in it. So we'll see. I'm kind of curious what they do with it. It's always kind of fun when they change the Hall of Presidents. It's just one of those little things that Disney has this connection to the presidential election. And because they always have the new uh, audio animatronic that shows up there. Or perhaps they will go back to having Biden have a speaking part. I don't know. We'll see what happens. But uh, I think um, if you're interested in going to see the, the uh, Trump show, you can either watch it online on YouTube or um, if you get a chance to go down there and see it one last time before it closes. Um, I assume that it'll be closing probably, um, might be before January 20th, but the inauguration is January 20th. So uh, if you want to see it, that would be your opportunity. Um, and then also, I noticed um, uh, President-elect Biden got up and he, was, he had this speech he gave on Saturday. And he was out there and he was, he was speaking in, um, in Delaware. Then they did this fireworks show after. Now, whatever you feel about him being the president-elect, what I wanted to talk about specifically was the fireworks show they did. This was really interesting because it was a combination of fireworks and drones. And it was really, really cool because for the first time you saw publicly exactly the kinds of things that Disney will probably be doing in the future. So you had live fireworks, then the, um, suddenly the, the uh, nature of the drones changed and they formed an American flag and they formed the United States and they had his name and they had a 46 with a circle around it and they were doing all these things while they were having fireworks go around it. It was really, really cool and I see that possibly as the future for Disney. One of those things that they could do to make a much more effective 
uh, immersive display of things because the drones can actually be closer to you than the fireworks are. So you can have a much more uh, immersive type surrounding experience. And the drones were moving in real time and they formed all these things and they changed colors and they did all these things. And I was like, yeah, that's what Disney has in mind. I can see it coming because we've talked about this before that Disney is going to be doing something different with the fireworks in all of their shows when they finally fully reopen and they do fireworks. You know that they're going to have some different things they're going to be doing. And I think this is the model for what they're going to be doing. That sort of a thing where they do uh, fireworks, drones, and other things all in the same experience. So it becomes this much more complete experience rather than just being fireworks in the sky. You get something else that kind of forms up and makes it more interesting and exciting. So you think about if you're doing a, a castle show, right, uh, at, the, at the Magic Kingdom. And, you know, you, you're talking about Peter Pan. You could have one drone that's being Tinkerbell that's flying along until she gets to the, uh, the wire where she flies down. You could have... Uh, you could have the pirate ship come up as, as they're talking, you know, they're playing um, music from Peter Pan. You could have, um, you know, different things that come up that, that would represent and be evocative of the different uh, pieces of music that you're playing there. It's really kind of cool. You know, you could have Cinderella run up the stairs or a shoe or something. You know, you could do all these things. The creativity really comes out at this point because you can do something that's three-dimensionally creative in the sky. I just think that's really cool. And when I saw the drones doing this, it was that moment where I went, aha, I finally get it. So there you go. That's, uh, that was my take on it. One little spark of inspiration is at the heart <laughs> of all creation. Right at the start of everything that's new. One little spark lights up for you. And finally, for my one little spark segment, I wanted to remind us that we're all humans. We're all breathing the same air. We're all living on this planet together. If we're in the United States, we're all Americans. We all kind of have that same fundamental desire in life to do well for ourselves, to, uh, to, to succeed in life. And it doesn't matter whether you're a Disney fan or a Universal fan. It doesn't matter what your political beliefs are. It doesn't matter what your yard sign says. It doesn't matter what your religion is. We're all in this together. And we need to treat each other with respect, with kindness, to be nice to one another. And the thing I'd like to encourage you to do on today's podcast is to go out there and find a random act of kindness that you can do. There are lots of opportunities to just be nice to someone else. And I'm not talking about doing it for the glory. I'm talking about just doing something nice. Look, you could have a conversation with a friend that you haven't maybe talked to in a while, or a relative who you thought was crazy, or who thought you were crazy, and just have a conversation. It could be about the weather. Doesn't matter what it is. Just try and open a door up again. Maybe the random act of kindness is baking a batch of cookies and giving them to your neighbor. Maybe it's volunteering somewhere at a homeless shelter or a senior center, if you can get in one these days, or a pet, pet one of these pet shelters. Just go somewhere, do some good, feel good about yourself for a little while, and remember what it's like to be a part of society again and be nice to one another. Just do some random act. If you're going into a store and someone's coming up to it, hold the door for them. Just something nice. Just something that's pleasant and approachable and just being nice. I think there's too much divisiveness and there's too many opportunities to treat each other with a lack of respect, and I think we need to change that. And we can start ourselves. It's that one little thing that you can do to help make the world a better place. Just do a tiny little thing. Maybe once a week, just pick one thing that you're going to do. There's plenty of websites out there that'll help you come up with a random act of kindness if you can't think of anything yourself. But just come up with something that you could do to just help someone. Just do something nice. That's all I'm saying. It's kind of fun, in a way, to have that feeling that comes over you when you do something for someone else that's unexpected. 
You know, if you're driving up to a corner and there's a person standing there who's begging for money, you know, panhandler basically, you could um, give them something. Maybe you, maybe you, uh, I, I carry cereal bars in my car all the time. And when I come up to someone like this and they say they're homeless and hungry, I'll hand them one of them. It's just a kind thing we can do. I'm not giving them any money to spend other ways. I'm giving them something so they have a little nourishment, so they have a little something. It's the way we can treat each other well. And, you know, if, you, if you're a religious person, perhaps, you know, your church has something that's going on or your synagogue or your um, temple has something going on. And uh, you could go and uh, listen to what they're doing and, and join in some of those activities. And I know right now with the pandemic still going on, it's hard. But I think there's still opportunities to do that. And like I said, just reach out to someone you haven't talked to in a while and listen to them for a few minutes. And hopefully they'll listen to you too, just for a couple of minutes. And again, it doesn't have to be about any specific topic. Maybe it's just time to open the door up again and just talk. So that's my one little spark for today. I think it's important for us to be friendly and communal. Think about this, if you're a Disney fan, what is the one thing that Disney does well? Customer service and treating people nice. Embody that yourself. Go out there and treat someone else nice and do something, give it that Disney special touch. The one thing they told us in cast member training, and I remember this, it sticks with me, was you always wanna give people that extra, go that extra mile for them. To give them that smile, to turn up the charm and just go, you got it. You know, to be nice that way, to always be polite. And I keep that in mind and I'd like to encourage everyone to try and do the same thing. Just be nice. It doesn't matter what kind of a day you had when you go to Disney. When you're working there, you may have had the worst day, but you put that in your locker, and you put on that name tag, and you walk out on stage, and you smile. I'd like to encourage you to do the same thing, just for a little while every day. Put a smile on, and just talk to people. Be nice. Be kind. Be considerate. And that's it. That's my one little spark for today. And that is my podcast for this week. I hope you've enjoyed it. And remember, if we can dream it, we can certainly do it. Bye now. Thank you for tuning in to the Disney View podcast. We hope you had a pleasant stay and arrive home safely. Please remain seated until your ride vehicle stops completely. Then, gather your personal belongings and step out onto the moving platform. And yes, I know it went by so quickly, but don't worry. One of the nice things about traveling on this podcast is that the journey is just beginning. Show notes are available on DisneyWorldPodcast.net. While there, please check out some of our affiliates. You'll also find links to Dave's iPhone and iPad apps. There's an app for pin trading, one for finding hidden Mickeys, and an app for finding and tracking pressed pennies around the Walt Disney World Resort. And you never know just what Dave is working on next. If you have questions, feel free to drop Dave an email at davesdisneyview at gmail.com. Original music you're hearing in this podcast is Oslo Doom by Gilberto Gil. Of course, this is a fan podcast and in no way affiliated with the Walt Disney Company.